Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented small law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through the Lawyerist Lab and Accelerator. And now, here are the co-authors of The Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast hosts. Hi, I'm Laura Briggs. And I'm Stephanie Everett, and this is episode 286 of the Lawyers Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Zach Laser about the right tech for small law firms. Today's podcast is brought to you by Action Step, Case Text, Text Expander, and Back Office Betty's. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support. Stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. So today, I thought we'd talk about something that comes up quite a bit with lawyers and... I want to relieve them of their fear of the unknown, which is the dreaded financial reports. Oh, yeah. I can imagine that's a nerve-wracking topic no matter where you're at with your law firm. There's something really brutally honest about getting to know your numbers, right? Oh, I love how you just said that brutally. Because you know what happens? A lot of times people are so fearful of their numbers and what the numbers are going to tell them that they just were like ostriches, right? We just kind of put our heads in the sand and ignore them altogether or we're just fearful that we don't understand the numbers and we don't know how to read the financials. And so we just ignore them altogether. Either way, kind of bad. Right. And you can't afford to do that on either front because you're probably either not paying yourself because you're scared to dive into the numbers and you're just like, well, let me make sure I take care of my expenses. Or perhaps you are paying yourself, but you're keeping yourself from growing because you're not investing in any of the tech or the people that could really help you with where you're at in your firm right now. Yeah. So I know it feels scary, but I want to be here to comfort you and tell you like you can do it. You can You can absolutely learn so much about your business if you do understand your numbers. And like you said, it's super important. It's going to be valuable information for lots of different reasons. So if I've had my head stuck in the sand on my numbers and I know nothing, where do I start? So you should have accounting software, I guess, as a premise. Let's just go there. (laughs) The days of doing your bookkeeping on Excel, or I have some attorneys that I've met with in the past couple of years who still had written ledgers for their trust accounts and like each. Oh, wow. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Oh, wow. And I just, you could do that, but why, right? Like why even there's software in there for it. It makes it super easy. They do a lot of the hard accounting things behind the scenes. So you don't even have to really think about it. So this is one where accounting software is super worth whatever it's going to cost you. But when you get into those accounting software, they all have the ability to run reports. And one of the reports you're going to want to look at is your Income statement, often referred to as your profit and loss statement, or you might have heard the shorthand PL. I'm very thankful that I once had an attorney say to me, I don't know what PL is. And it was like, yeah, like it's a shorthand that accountants use. Probably like lawyers, we have our own whole verbiage too that we use that everyone else is probably like, what the hell are y'all talking about? And so <laughs> I was really happy and grateful that he admitted to me that he didn't know what a PL was. He'd heard the term his whole life and had no idea. So it's just a shorthand for profit and loss statement, which accountants also call income statements. So your software may be one of those two things. That's really important because I think 
you called out a great point there about if you don't know what something is, there's no shame in just turning to your mastermind community or to your coach or even to your accountant and saying, listen, can you help me figure out what these numbers actually mean? Because I think there's also a danger of maybe you are running those reports, but if you're not setting aside the time to look through them or to really understand, okay, how do I use these numbers to figure out do I have enough room in my budget to hire somebody new? Or if I'm going to make different changes that affect the financials of the firm, how do I take the data I already have and use that to make those decisions? So I think it's important to to be willing to ask and to be willing to be honest about the fact that we might not know what it means. Yeah. And so here's a quick breakdown of what that report's going to show you. At the top, you're going to see income or revenue or basically money coming in, dollars coming into your firm. Then you're going to see your expenses. And then you're going to see the difference, right? Your profit number. One thing to note that if you have capitalized expenses, which is a fancy thing accountants do, those won't show up on your P&L statement. So I will confess, I once made the mistake of looking when I first started my firm, I'd look at my P&L and I'd think the expenses were all the money going out of the firm. And I didn't realize that the way it's set up, some of those numbers don't show up. So that's important to know. So you can talk to your CPA if you have any capitalized expenses. So that's different so that you can understand your cash flow, money coming in and money going out. But even still, the P&L is a great place to start to just get a sense of what's going on in your firm. Well, now I have to take my own advice. What is a capitalized expense? I realize I don't even know what that is. All right, so I'm not an accountant or CPA. <laughs> right, right. We're not giving you formal advice. <laughs> we are not. There are certain expenses that the IRS will allow you to depreciate, and so they get captured differently. So, for example, if you bought a large piece of equipment, it shows up. Just trust me. Here's my, like, dirty answer of, like, <laughs> to know enough. It has to show up differently because it gets depreciated over time. And so your CPA will set that up in a different type of chart of accounts in your software system, and it just gets shown differently. Another thing is if you have a loan, if you have a long-term debt, the principal payment will not show up on your income statement, but the interest will. So if you paid $5,000 each month and 1000 of that was interest and 4000 was principal, I have no idea if those numbers work, by the way, then that $4,000 would not show up on the P&L, but the 1000 would. That's your like non-accountant answer to know. I probably should go look it up. And and I think that's what's important about all of this is that you're not going to have it all figured out when you first sit down and that's okay. I mean, it's that very act of being honest with your numbers, figuring out what do I understand about this and what maybe am I confused about that I can get help from a professional so that you can use those numbers more accurately. So now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with David Hepburn from Action Step and then my conversation with Zach. Hi, my name is David Hepburn, and I'm the global president of ActionStep. For those of you who are not familiar with ActionStep, ActionStep is a flexible, easy-to-use software platform for ambitious law firms. It's a complete legal practice solution that will take you every step of your journey as a law firm with unlimited scope to scale and evolve. Our software is cloud-based and driven by workflow, and ActionStep is designed around lawyers' ideal way of working to transform your firm's productivity at every step. It will enable your competitive edge. What trends are you seeing in law right now? Well, you know, I'd urge firms not to forget the lessons of the past few months. You know, lockdown has really magnified a number of key trends. You know, we've seen a lot of lawyers become more self-sufficient. They're away from their practice, working at home, and don't have the usual support that they normally do in the office. You know, and I suppose, you know, one of the things we're seeing is firms are not going back to the way things were prior to COVID-19. 
Your second theme is really seeing more data-driven lawyers. You know, they want more business insights to help them really drive their business. And finally, you know, a lot of lawyers really want to practice their way. They know that the practice management system is forcing them to do things the way the system's designed. And, you know, really their process is their IP. Can you talk a little bit more about what you mean when you say self-sufficiency? Yeah, for sure. You know, in the office, you know, we were used to that human glue, you know, our paralegals and admins supporting us, you know, when we are now that we're in our home offices, you know, we don't have that support. And, you know, we've had to figure out how to become self-sufficient. You know, I suppose that self-sufficiency is enabled by, you know, software that's easy to use, technology that lives where we live, you know, which prevents you from having to kind of switch from Outlook back to your practice management system or then to an accounting system. You know, here at ActionStep, we're working really hard to bring our software to where you spend most of your time, like places like Outlook. You know, workflow gives you confidence in the process. If you've got automation and, and steps already created, then you're able to have confidence things are happening well. Task management's important to drive collaboration and visibility. You know, and another thing that's just not that well used by organizations are templates. You know, they save time both for emails as well as documents. Remote working isn't going away and being more self-sufficient is a skill for the long term. You know, so we see firms right now really locking down their long-term cloud strategies. Why do you think lawyers are becoming more data-driven? Well, there's really two themes here. You know, the first is to try and understand your data. Lawyers think about the health of their firms all the time, but struggle to get to the bottom of it. You know, it is important to spend more time looking at the data behind your practice. That will help you understand market dynamics and which practice areas, for example, are most profitable for you. Understanding answers to where your revenue is coming from, you know, so you can focus on the right markets and people out there in your network. Which people and teams are doing more in your team, you know, billing more? You know, how efficient are you moving clients through your processes? And are we taking care of them? You know, are we logging calls, following up as we should be, meeting uh, deadlines and dates? And I suppose the second key theme that we're seeing is really around using data to become more efficient, focusing on really good data and not documents. You know, a lot of lawyers spend time in documents. If they just focus on the data and got the data right and utilize things like document automation, document generation technologies, your client comms and liberals will be perfect and save you tons of time. You'll spend less time buried in documents and more time on high value activities. So when you sit this within workflow, you know, really able to truly automate your practice. What do you mean by something you mentioned earlier, which is process is my IP? We know we hear firms say, I want to run my firm my way. It's a challenge using a practice management system that's quite rigid and doesn't enable you to use the process that I suppose is your secret source. You know, so I suppose becoming more invested in your processes from becoming more self-sufficient is something that we see a lot of lawyers thinking about. You know, every firm's unique. The secret source is how you do things and how you want to run your firm. And without that human glue, you know, technology really needs to support that process. So I suppose we see them looking for systems that don't limit or dictate that process. We see a real strong demand right now for software that lets you run your firm your way and really develop your ideal workflows and actually have the flexibility to practice that way. You know, we're quite different to traditional practice management solutions in the market and enable you to really unlock your potential by systematizing your practice processes and workflow. And that can become a competitive advantage. That's excellent. And so many firms today need to make sure their software is working for them, not the other way around. If any of the themes we've talked about today have resonated with you, please get in touch at www.actionstep.com and you can book time with their product specialist to learn how the software will transform your firm's productivity. Thanks so much. 
I'm Zach Glazer. I am a legal tech consultant with Lawyerist, and I have been a practicing attorney since 2011 and have had a practice helping attorneys with their tech needs with a company called Tech for Lawyers for about the last two years. Awesome. Welcome. We're so excited to have you as part of the team. You've actually, at the time that we're recording this episode, you've been part of the team for a little while, so you're not completely brand new, and you've been doing a lot of different kinds of things behind the scenes, working on product pages. You've been doing some coaching calls with lawyerist lab members who have tech questions. How did you sort of get involved into the tech end of things, sort of that specifically helping lawyers figure out what tech is right for them? Yeah. So when I first started out as an attorney, I went into a high volume practice that had a lot of turnover and needed a pretty good database, needed a very good uh, set of workflows and just kind of needed a lot of good tech. And I got to where I got good at dealing with all of that technology, you know, dealing with the databases, dealing with making the technology work and play well with each other. And so I had people that I knew, lawyers that I knew that would ask me to help them with their stuff. And I realized that one of the things I actually liked about my job at the time was the building of those things, building of the systems instead of, you know, the actual practicing law. I mean, I enjoy practicing law, but building the systems around the legal field is much more enjoyable for me. That makes a lot of sense. And I think it's also a common place where a lot of attorneys get tripped up because there's so many different options now for legal tech. It seems like there's probably four to six options for every different type of category you can think of when it comes to legal tech. So if you're just starting your firm and you can only buy a couple of pieces of software, what do you really need versus what can kind of wait and is maybe a luxury or expense that you can absorb later down the road when you have some more clients? The first thing that I usually talk to people about is going to be their basic email platform, you know, G Suite or Microsoft Office 365, something like that. You want to go ahead and use something appropriate, something that's secure. You really can't afford to skimp on that. And they're not really that expensive. And then those are going to come with a lot of software that you don't even think about a lot of times. You know, they come with OneDrive for Microsoft, Google Drive for the G Suite. Then they come with a lot of different communication software. So you can do a lot with just those pieces of equipment. And so I suggest people to start there. Additionally, those kind of help you make your choices down the road. So the second thing that I would usually talk to people about is law practice management software. And that is something where you're keeping track of your matters in a database. And it can be as simple as just a very quick database that has a user interface that you created and access, or it can be, you know, extremely complex and very specific to the type of law you practice. But that is kind of the next choice that you make because it's an organizational choice. It, it helps you get your thoughts together. It helps you get everything else together. And then it's really easy to build your software off of that choice. In order to make that choice, a lot of times you have to have decided on your your email provider, or at least your email provider will help guide your decision there. And then I would make sure, I think it's, it's not even really a choice for lawyers, but using Microsoft Word, dealing with other industries, you can use Google, you can use Google Docs, you can use Google Sheets. But in the legal industry, Microsoft Word is just something that you're going to have to be able to use. And something that I would suggest for people to know how to use very well. 
um, to use all the intricacies of redlining and you know some of the macros and and some of the more more difficult things to do on Microsoft Word are, are extremely helpful. So when you have a couple of processes outlined in your firm, but you're looking to make that upgrade from something like G Suite or whatever you've kind of strung together with Microsoft Word to a piece of technology, do you have to start fresh with your workflows or do you recommend that attorneys sit down and look at their existing workflows and then try to find the piece of software that fits what they're already doing? I think a lot of times when people design software, they try to design how attorneys work. And without actually being in an office and knowing how attorneys operate and knowing that most attorneys operate differently than each other. Everybody has their own little idiosyncrasies in a way that they're comfortable moving forward. So I like to have people work from what they know, from their workflows already, and then go and get the software, go and get the programs that can fit into that for them. Because we're talking about using technology to make you better, not making technology better with law. So people talk about the Centaur attorney strapping on technology to your practice already and then having that help you be efficient and productive. And so I think that stems from having good workflows and having good operational organization already. Yeah, that makes sense because I think there's just so many options out there now and you have to know what it is that you're going to get out of any particular program. So as you're growing with legal software, where do you think a lot of attorneys go wrong either when they're picking it out or they're using it? What are some of the you know common things you're seeing there with lawyers? So a lot of times, I think attorneys want the software to solve all their problems. And software should solve a lot of problems. Technology should solve a lot of problems. But I see a lot of people don't get down to the basics like we were just talking about. And do their workflows appropriately, sit down and draw out how something works through their office. And when I sit down with people that we're coaching or people that I consult with and actually kind of take things step by step and calm down and think about what we actually want, a lot of times we find that we need less software than we thought. There is less need for these very specific pieces of software that do something very, very particular And really what it is, is it's about changing how we pass things from one person in our office to another person in our office. And those things can be done with some simple equipment. Perfect. So I think another challenge that might come up is we see this all the time in our Lawyerist Insiders Facebook group. Someone will pop in there and ask like, hey, who uses Clio? Who likes it and who doesn't? Can you talk a little bit about when asking other attorneys for advice like that can be helpful and when maybe it's actually just adding more confusion or giving you data that isn't aligned with your practice? Yeah. When you ask a broad question, and I think everybody kind of knows this deep down, but when you ask a broad question like, how do you like Clio? Or does Clio work well? Or does FileVine work well for that matter? Those are kind of dangerous questions because again, we all practice differently and we all set up our offices very differently than each other. And so what works really well for one person may not work really well for the other. So I suggest that people kind of get down to the specifics of it. You want to say something to the extent of what is a good piece of practice software for someone that does collection work or someone that does estates and trusts, someone that has four assistants with them. You know, a lot of times I like to, again, look to the software that already exists 
And so you say, what works and plays well with Office 365, as opposed to how good is Clio? Because Clio is very good at certain things. And then FileVine is very good at certain things. And, and, you know, kind of extrapolate from there, there are a lot of pieces of software that are extremely good for certain people based on how good they are with software already, how familiar they are with the processes. But if it's not something that fits into your style of doing things, it's just going to frustrate you. It's going to actually keep you from using better software that's out there. And I have to imagine that part of that is just personality and preferences too. You know, what one person might like about a certain type of software might actually be a huge aggravation to somebody else. So I think the more that there's some context around those kinds of things, the more helpful your answers will be. And I imagine that's a lot of the reason too, why people would reach out to somebody like you and ask for help and say, okay, here's what my law practice looks like. Here's how many lawyers we have, and here's how many admins. And these are the types of cases that we handle because that data is important for making those kinds of decisions. Absolutely. And I think you hit on something very, very good there. A lot of times it's about what you're already comfortable with. And so I really like Microsoft, the Office 365 platform. I like Google as well, Google Suite, but I used to push Microsoft 365 a little bit, but I, I realized that it's what people are comfortable with. If somebody's comfortable with, with Gmail, then they're going to work better with Gmail, with something that works and plays well with Gmail. If they're comfortable with Office 365, with Outlook, they're going to be able to use this equipment a lot better. And trying to make people fit into software that they're unfamiliar with or software that just doesn't quite align for them, just doesn't quite make sense for them, isn't a good way to go about it. So what I start with a lot of times with people is, what are you familiar with? What do you like? And we go from there. We try to build off of what you already enjoy about the software that that's a great point. You don't have to overcomplicate it and you can use wherever you're at right now, even if that situation or setup isn't perfect, as the starting point to figure out which direction you need to go. We'll take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the future of legal technology. Support for today's episode comes from Back Office Betty's, the only virtual receptionist service exclusively dedicated to small law firms that offers a plan with unlimited calls. Their highly specialized service boasts customized call handling, relentlessly friendly team members, and unmatched quality. The Bettys are ready to help you grow your firm, even when you're out of the office. Visit backofficebettys.com lawyerist to try them out for one week free. Use the promo code podcast to receive $150 off your first month. Typing the same thing like your email address or phone number over and over is a productivity killer. Turn everything you need to type more than once into a snippet with Text Expander. Type an abbreviation you make and your snippet automatically expands. Text Expander works everywhere you type and helps you reduce errors and increase productivity. Text Expander is also available for companies so you can share snippets with everyone on your team. Text Expander is available for Mac, Windows, iPhone, iPad, and Chrome. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. Visit TextExpander.com slash podcast to learn more. Looking for a true alternative to LexisNexis or Westlaw? You could save thousands this year if you switched to Case Text. Over 6,000 law firms from solos to 40% of the AM Law 100 use Case Text to help them find better results in less time and for less money. For $65 per month, you'll get access to 50 state and federal case law, statutes, and more with zero out-of-plan fees. 
try the Smarter Legal Research platform. Lawyerist podcast listeners can go to casetext.com slash lawyerist to try Case Text for free for two weeks. Okay, we're back. One thing I'm curious about your insight on is where you think legal technology is going as far as trends. It seems almost like every other month there's a new company that pops up that's offering something in the legal tech space. It's making it a little bit harder for attorneys to figure out you know, should they stick with an existing program? Should they try something new? Is there something out there that does a feature that none of the other pieces of software do yet? Should they look into it? So what are some of the trends that you're seeing right now in legal tech? So first off, I love legal tech, obviously. And I really enjoy watching a lot of these companies come out with very new, very innovative ways of doing things. But what's really exciting for me right now is actually all the young lawyers coming out of law school that are familiar with technology, they grew up on technology, they grew up with smartphones, they grew up on tablets. I got my first smartphone in the middle of law school. That was when the iPhone came out and that was big stuff. And I'm usually, I'm very advanced because of that. But the people that are coming out of law school right now have a lot more familiarity with technology and I'm seeing that they're using the technology that exists really well and in new and innovative ways. And so I'm not as excited about the tech that's coming out as much as the users that are coming out. Yeah, that's really interesting. Are you seeing that there are certain things that attorneys are pinpointing as problems or gaps in the market right now where they're saying, you know, I really love this, but it's missing this feature. Or if I only had a software program that could do this thing, do you think there's any commonalities around some of the challenges that lawyers are experiencing right now? One of the big questions that I see right now is, you know, whether lawyers should take the time to learn to code. And I think it's an interesting question. I learned to code. I, I, you know, have a lot of fun doing it, but I usually tell people, if you enjoy it, then do it. It's kind of like changing the oil in your own car. If you like it, do it. But somebody else can probably do it cheaper. So the question is as to whether how much attorneys need to understand the underlying technology. And a lot of a lot of software is coming out right now that is making kind of a plug and play sort of code. So you've got companies like Documate and Community Lawyer that are making workflow creation of documents very, very simple for somebody who speaks legally as opposed to you know, speaking kind of tech languages. So I think that's something that's exciting for me right now is that a lot of attorneys are actually getting their hands dirty on making things that look a lot more like software, look a lot more like personalized apps. And I, I think that's really interesting to see specific attorneys and what they're doing with these things. Is there a point where it's dangerous to be entrenched in the software that you're using right now, such that it's hard to try to move on to something else. So maybe you're sticking with something under the kind of concept of the devil you know is better than the one that you don't. How do you tell when it's really time to switch things up and to move to a different platform, especially if you've got your existing business kind of set up to work, even if not perfectly in this current form? Yeah. So that's that's one of the toughest things to figure out with with the technology, obviously. When I'm moving forward, kind of talking to people about whether or not they need to leave a, let's say, law practice management system that they've been on for years. I like to look at where that practice management system is going. Are they behind right now or are they behind? Are they about to catch up? Because 
they're a company in themselves and they're not going to have smooth transitions. They're going to move, they're going to advance in fits and starts. And so if they're continuing to advance, well, then I might give them a little bit more time to move forward and bring their technology into um, kind of compliance with the rest of the industry. If it's something that seems like it just is fundamentally lagging, then I think most of the time it is worth taking the effort to switch to something else that is better, that is more specific to what you're doing, that you're more comfortable with, and that is more future-proof. Yeah, it seems like that might be a pain point for lawyers. You know, you have a system that's set up and you know that it's not working perfectly, but that whole idea of just the downtime or having to learn the new tech and teach it to everybody on the team could potentially be a barrier to kind of moving forward there. Absolutely. And I think that's why I really like programs that are, they work and play well with a lot of different programs. They have open APIs, which means that they will send information from their program to another program that you're using. And so you can put together a machine that is specific to your practice that is kind of piecemeal. And so as one of those pieces of the machine gets deprecated, then you can replace it with something that is in that sphere, but yet you don't have to replace the entire thing. You don't have to replace the entire machine. So I prefer to set my practices on top of kind of a base of Microsoft or Google because they're not going anywhere. And then everything from there is kind of piecemeal. You make it small and have a specific purpose. Do you have any recommendations around best practices for getting a sense of whether a software is right for you before investing in it or moving all of your cases over to it? Like, do you find demos to be helpful? Is there something else that attorneys should be doing before jumping in feet first with a particular piece of software? I actually do find demos to be helpful, not necessarily because you get a feel for the software, but in the demo, you get a feel for how much help you're going to get from that company. There are a lot of very good companies in legal tech that are just chomping at the bit to help attorneys as much as they can to transfer their information, to build their systems on their platform. And so I like to actually look at who's making the software and see how I feel about the kind of support they're gonna give me. Because a lot of times I can kind of make the piece of software work. You know, their law practice management system at its most basic, is really just a database that stores the information about my client. And yes, they're all very different from each other, but I can make a lot of them work very much like themselves. So it's more about what kind of support I'm going to get. So I do like to do demos. I do like to talk to people who have the same kind of practice, see what their experience is. And then you can also talk to the companies that are kind of peripheral to that. So if you're looking for law practice management software, you know maybe you talk to the CRM company about their experience with the law practice management software, or you talk to a document automation company about how difficult it was to get connected to their sort of software. And you just kind of get a feel for them. It takes a little bit of time, but unfortunately, the whole process takes a little bit of time because setting up your infrastructure, your tech infrastructure, is not something that is done in a day. And it's something that needs to be well thought out, but you need to be comfortable with your providers. Right. 
Well, that's extremely helpful. So I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, is there a piece of software or tech or some kind of cool tech tip you have to help us, you know, save time or do things more efficiently? I think everybody's kind of always looking for something that will speed up their processes or make their lives a little bit easier. And it seems like you'd be the guy to go to for that. A lot of times I tend to use the stuff that already exists. I've been leaning into letting Outlook write a lot of my email for me and letting Google write a lot of my email for me. But specifically, I've been playing with Text Expander a lot lately. Mm -hmm. And it has been a very interesting piece of software because it allows me to create templates and some very robust templates and then take them across platform. So I can use a template in my email that I also can use in my Word document, but I can also create extremely complex Word document templates. That's been one that I've had a lot of fun with, and I can actually see where I save time because you create these snippets, you make a kind of three-character hotkey, and then all of a sudden you've got two paragraphs that you always say to people. I can easily envision people doing their certificate of service with something like Text Expander. It's just kind of a cross-platform template. That's awesome. And I think you bring up a really good point too about how you're relying on things inside Outlook and Gmail because often we take these things for granted and there's all kinds of hacks and keyboard commands and shortcuts that can often help you be more efficient in the programs that you're already using. So don't overlook that and feel like you have to throw everything out and invest in something entirely new. There may be some tips and tricks that you can use with the pieces of software and the programs that you're using already that will cut down on that concern about having to move everything over to something else. Well, Zach, thanks so much. I know I got a lot out of this and we're super excited to have you as part of the team. And Zach will also be writing, you know, product pages and product reviews for lawyers. So stay tuned as we have more of those coming out. But thanks again so much. Laura, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. And uh, I'm also very excited to be part of this team. The Lawyers Podcast is produced by Laura Briggs and edited by Christopher Ng. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Well, here are your first two steps. If you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free right now at lawyers.com book. Next, if you're looking for help beyond the book, then let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyers.com community to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. 